0: So as is often the case, I am interviewing somebody who I worked with in the past, but who has become a friend because they are frankly an awesome human being doing awesome things in the world. So I'm just going to go ahead and introduce my good friend, Selena Donald. Hi, Betsy. It's so good to have you here because I kind of nagged you and, and tried to pin this down as fast as possible because... After not seeing each other for years, we recently met up in Barcelona when she was here for a conference that we were both speaking at, and it was just so lovely to reconnect. And I wanted to capture that energy while it was really fresh and some of the things we talked about. So I'm glad you're here. Thanks for squeezing me in.
1: We did not stop talking. It was amazing. (laughs) It was such a nice evening to just reconnect and in Barcelona at the most Spanish bar that we could ever have found (laughs) it was great
0: yeah there was red wine there was cheese there was it was just such a good reconnection but it reminded me that there's stuff to talk about and one of the things I love about my friends and the people in my network who have become my friends and people I admire is that we kind of mix nicely the small talk and the catching up on each other's personal lives and and the really deep meaty how are we going to impact the world what do we care about moments. And so I think this conversation will be, again, hopefully another one that's just a really good chat with a friend that you who are listening can enjoy and relate to That prompts some questions. And we would love to hear from you. So if you are enjoying this, please do, you know, jump on over to Instagram. I'm the Betsy Reed. We'll leave Selena's details in the show notes and and leave us comments, send us messages. We really want to hear from people. So I'm going to go ahead and make you uncomfortable, Selena, from the start by reading your biography and mostly someone else's words. But also a few years back, I, I helped to write your biography because it's always one of those really hard things to do for yourself. And so that was part of what I helped with.
1: <laughs> we'll get yeah, to this. You have got an amazing way with words and you actually helped develop like the brand tone of voice for my company, which still stands today, like nearly 10 years on. So it was- Thank you.
0: It was so much fun. So yeah, it's one of those things when you when you work with somebody, I know this is just a little love fest and some people are probably being like, bar, move on, <laughs> get through it. Stick with us, folks, stick with us. But it was just like one of those situations where I realized how valuable it is to work with people you love, who get what you do and you get what they do. And it was just so easy. And then we could just have impact really quickly. So here we go. Selena Donald is trailblazing a new way of doing events. As the co-founder of the events company, The Bulb, She and her London-based team, well, now all over the UK because we're all hybrid and remote, are proving it's possible to be creative, exciting, and environmentally responsible. On an individual level, Selena's day-to-day shows us how one person can remain aware of their impact on the environment, structure a day to allow for space, and make conscious choices in life and business. So Selena's been a vegetarian since she was a child, and that actually was a real trigger to help her realize that sustainability could also be applied to her career after years of working on large scale events like the opening and closing games, uh, opening and closing ceremonies, need to use my words, for the London Olympics in 2012, and witnessing how unsustainable creative industries can be. So if you think about events... They are beautiful. They are memorable. They are about helping us to connect to experiences and transcendence. But quite often, then what happens afterward is the carpet from the conference gets thrown away. The set for the incredible concert or event gets thrown away. So, this beautiful one off experience actually has a huge impact on the environment because when you think of that thousands upon thousands of times every year and the events that have been run every year in the world, that really adds up. And so, underneath Sort of the ugly underbelly of a beautiful industry is the amount of waste and negative impact it has on the environment and also even communities sometimes in which events take place. So Selena is the kind of person who can't really sit still very well. I know this from experience. <laughs> and when she has a bee in her bonnet, when she has something to focus on, she goes for it. So the, she and her then business partner, Ruth, who I remember quite well, Started The Bulb in January 2016. And The Bulb is an events agency that's sustainable through and through. And I know that from helping actually to develop a toolkit for the events industry to really start to assess their impact and do better. So Selena said in this piece that I ripped the biography from, so many brands are sustainable, but then their events or marketing campaigns will be completely unsustainable. We want brands to know there's a way to do it that really reflects their company values. So fast forward to now, I first met Selena in 2015. I think it was through a mutual friend. Hello, Matthew. If you ever listen to this, and we started working working together on a range of things, and I just remember being so impressed that this firecracker of a woman could be so young and so energetic and have done such big things already. You know, working on the London 2012 opening and closing games, the Paralympics, and from then it's just gotten bigger and bigger. So she's worked on things like England's 2018 World Cup bid, the Rio Olympics in 2016, been part of the senior management team for ITV events, and various things that also are really aligned with, I know, Selena, your personal values, like working on the UN's climate change negotiations, Global Girls Summit, yada, yada, yada. I won't even go through all of this. But like doing things for Vivian Westwood's climate revolution. So she often, Selena often speaks on issues of women's empowerment, female entrepreneurship, gender equality, et cetera. She's a great speaker. And that was why when I pinged her a message because I was about to speak at an events, a global events conference in Barcelona, I was like, is the events industry still in as much need of a nudge as it was? And she said, well, actually, I'm going to be there speaking. So it was a perfect moment to, to talk about how. The events industry is having a moment of having, well, I don't know if we've come through a pandemic, but been heavily impacted by the pandemic in which people couldn't go to events in which people couldn't gather. And suddenly people who'd specialized in just being brilliant and creative and staging events in person had to figure out how to be tech people and do these things online. And I think a lot of people started to realize that their job truly is about human connection about connecting us to ourselves, connecting us to each other, connecting us to experiences. And I think it started to dawn on a lot of people that they could be a lot more strategic rather than just executing and just thinking, well, if I insist on doing something sustainably, they'll just hire someone else, which was actually kind of the case a few years back. But as this pandemic has helped a lot of people to realize they want to live their personal values in. Their work in the events they go to, in the brands they're loyal to, events has a real impact to have because I think people are ready for this insistence and the event industry is ready if they'll take on the mantle to be more strategic. And I know this personally from the comms industry, the communications industry, a few years ago. I I just noticed that sustainability was becoming an issue that was more and more a focus. It was something that companies were being regulated to report on and deliver on. More communications people were getting involved and they didn't know how to grapple with these complex issues. And they were communicating about them in a way that was greenwashing, that was purpose washing. It wasn't really accurate and it was doing harm. And so I really felt compelled to speak to the communications industry then and do training. And then I got asked to write a book about it to step up and take on that leadership. And rather than thinking, oh, I just have to deliver a brief that a client wants me to deliver. They could actually be quite strategic and be like, well, actually, if this isn't true, I need to tell the client that I'm going to create risk if I communicate this. So they actually need their strategy to reflect what they want to say about themselves. And so the events industry is having that same moment, right? Where has an opportunity to not just, Execute, but to actually say, right, your brand is about sustainability. We need to make sure your event reflects that because people are smart now and they will hop on social media and take pictures of food waste or take pictures or comment on the way that everybody arrived at the event. You know, if it's impressively sustainable, that is just a bonus. So that is why Selena is here. That is why I want to talk about this because even if you don't work in events, everybody's been to an event that they can remember, right? These are the things that shape people's memories and lives. And, you know, just think about the best event you went to as a child. Maybe it was going to the carnival or going to a concert or whatever. These things stick with you. So all of that as the background and all of that as just a jumping off point for what is going to be, I'm sure, a fun conversation. Welcome, Selena.
1: Thank you. That was a great intro. And I just love it when you get into the stream of all of this and like, conscious talking and I can just see it's really coming from like from your heart as you're just talking thinking through what you're saying it's really nice
0: and flow yeah because it's one of you those are in flow. <laughs> well on the discomfort practice I talk to so many people from a, a range of sectors and backgrounds and there is this common theme of well, especially this season season four of you know who's really forging new ways of doing things or who has forged new ways of doing things because it's uncomfortable, right? When you're challenging a whole sector, a way we've done things, you're creating discomfort.
1: Yeah. And that's you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we've like, since the pandemic, we've seen a lot of discomfort because we've had to change so much, but also we saw so many movements that were never in the public eye, like, um, 16- Sixteen or fifteen-year-old schoolgirl sitting outside a Swedish parliament with a really crap sign, um, putting climate change to the forefront of everyone's minds. Uh, Black Lives Matter, Extinction Rebellion—like all of these movements, all of a sudden, just gained so much traction. Um, and because, you know, in part, maybe because we were online more, so we were sharing more and reading more, and we had time to pause and think about what we were think, what we wanted to see in our world. And you know, we saw like this great resignation from every industry, like where are these people working? I have no idea. But the event industry is still struggling with the fact that there is just no people because people want to go and do something that really matters to them. And so I think that discomfort has been felt across so many different ways. And it's actually opened so many doors for people like me who want to change the way that businesses are running and the way that we, you know, socialize and consume and engage, and how we connect a brand with an audience, and um, I think it's becoming more of a a compliance issue to be sustainable than even a brand value. It's, it needs to happen. So, yeah, the discomfort from the pandemic has um, been an event like an advantage for me, which. You know, in the nicest possible way, and whilst at the same time being a really horrific period to go through.
0: Yeah. When all events stopped and everybody thought, oh my God, what am I, what am I gonna do next? Okay, well, before we dive deep into that, because I have lots of questions on the back of that, which was brilliant opener. Thank you. (laughs) The first question is always what's an uncomfortable moment that's shaped who you are and what you do in the world? How did you get to this moment of having a moment yourself, because hopefully the event industry is having a moment of being ready to change.
1: Oh, do you know, when I I thought about that question, the, the key thing, you know, the most uncomfortable moment in my life career that's got me to where I am now is actually the Bulb 101 failing. So setting up the Bulb, we were, we, I was so naive, I just left ITV didn't have a client, didn't have a cash flow, had no idea how to run a business, left, set up the business with my business partner, and we just went for it. And I'm glad that we were so naive and we just went for it. However, we didn't have a clue about running a business or maintaining cash flow or balancing work life to the point where we had no life. And a series of things happened around ill health and family, and it just got to the point and the, and financial you know trouble trying to keep it going um and this was back in 2016 so we were still having to go into companies and explain why sustainability was a business case and the right way to uh, like a mindset and an approach rather than just a siloed piece of strategy or paper that sits on a server you know like we were having to explain all of that and so it was harder to win business and get into people's minds and we did do well you know we worked with some amazing brands like lush and asos and vivian westwood and march for women but it just wasn't enough to keep us going as a business and that naivety just meant that we we ended up going our separate ways and i traveled for a year which was incredible um And came back and brought the bulb back from her. Like something kept niggling at me. I could have easily gone and got a job, worked for someone else, got a great paycheck. But I just wasn't ready to put the bulb to bed. I was so proud of everything we'd worked on, like the work we'd done with you on developing that brand tone of voice, who we were, the look and feel, the fact that there still wasn't many other people doing this in the marketplace, and yet it was becoming more and more of an issue. So in two thousand and 18 i brought ruth out of the business um more there wasn't a massive business to buy it was more the brand and um I resurrected it into a consultancy and instead just focused on what i was really passionate about which was sustainability and was like i'm just going to help other event organisers be more sustainable and i'm going to help brands and their internal marketing teams be more sustainable and understand it and again, like just didn't, wasn't sort of, was just kind of going for it. Um, and Bob, you know, 2.0 was born. And then the pandemic hit <laughs> yeah, and great at that point, yeah, great timing, glad I chucked all my savings onto this business. But actually it meant that all the agencies and the organizations and the brand teams, um, they needed to stop and pause and think about the way they worked. And sustainability was becoming more and more a way of working than a buzzword, which I hate when people say buzzword. But it was becoming more and more like a center part of what brands and then in part organizations like agencies were needing to do. And so actually the pandemic made people look at themselves and go, actually, we need help here. We need someone to come in. And so it worked really well for me in that sense. And by the end of 2019, the bulb you know was was really up and going and, and had you know numerous clients and now you know busy expanding the team but that period like i remember like sobbing on my friends because i felt such a failure when i uh, had the, the ball failed and having no money so i had to live in my married friend's spare room rent free me and the cat just moving in like two little orphans and moving all of my things out of london back to my mums at the age of you know 35 and just feeling like oh god what a failure i've got no money i've got no pension i've got no savings i'm just gonna get and even failing to the point and being that burnt out from it all that i brought a one-way ticket to borneo (laughs) (laughs) and then got to the airport and they wouldn't let me on the flight because you're not allowed in without a return ticket. So I had to like sit on the airport airport floor just buying a random ticket out of Borneo to like, oh, I don't even know where I brought it to, like Malaysia or Thailand or somewhere. And just was like, oh just go, I'll just choose wherever. But was so frazzled from the failure of this business and just everything that had happened and so burnt out. But I really needed that in order to grow and understand like what 2.0 was not going to be. Um and I think that period of discomfort and feeling like really rock bottom like it's helped me grow to the point where I now understand like work-life balance even though I could easily work for hours and hours and hours because I love what I do and I'm also a perfectionist but I just think now life's too short and I actually want life instead of just work.
0: Mm. Yeah I yeah. I but, always a danger of a career you really care about isn't it that you could just be like whoa but I love it so it's okay to let it yeah. be my personal life as well.
1: Yeah, and it becomes your baby, like you know, it's it, it's the thing that you want to focus on and talk about and nurture and grow, and it's not healthy.
0: I think there's a point where you become like a tiger mom with your baby of a project, and it just is like back off, have your own life, let me breathe. But I think yeah, you really I hadn't really thought about that, and because we sort of weren't closely in touch for a few years, like. I was vaguely aware of all of this, but the, I guess what would probably be of interest to explore if you're up for it is diving into that. What is coming out of failure give you? You know, what has that given you that you wouldn't have had unless the bulb 1.0 had
1: failed? Oh, I think knowledge. You know this is how a business fails you don't manage your cash flow you say yes to things that aren't paying well the vivian westwood event we basically did for free like the amount of time versus the actual fee that we got for it was just shocking <laughs> um
0: that's very fashion sector though isn't it they're like oh, uh, yeah they're fabulous do it for free
1: yeah welcome. Be lucky to work for us for nothing i mean modern slavery or what but like you know just just understanding that my time is money and putting a value on that whereas before i'd be like oh yeah i just want to work with you you know that naivety and sort of keenness and now being able to in fact i have just been in a very highly uncomfortable situation where i'm negotiating a contract for next year and this is a global organization with offices across the US, UK, Canada, Japan, they have got money, they work with the world's biggest brands, and they were really trying to get me down on, on, you know, a small, and we're talking a couple of hundred pounds, which for a small business means something. And for them, it's it's not even a flight for the CEO, you know, it's it's so small. And I really stood my ground and went back and put that in an email I was like this it means nothing to you but it does to me and this is my time and I can you know take my time elsewhere if it's not going to be properly like resourced and, and given you know the right value to it and I went <laughs> and then press send And then spent the whole day in a state of anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. What have I done? What have I done? What if they just totally fall? And yet knowing that I don't, like my logical brain was going, they won't do that. But my people pleasing brain was going, I should email and just say, I'm so sorry for that emotional email. And I'm so glad I stood my ground because then that evening they just agreed to my fee. And it just showed me like in the past how often I undersold myself which led to us not earning enough money. And that was because we didn't put a high value on our time. And now I'm learning to do that. And it's so uncomfortable. Like this thing of women in particular who can't speak about money and being really open about money and saying I deserve more money. It's, It's like, it's a bad, bad way of being. And I think if I hadn't have failed and realized, look back on all of that time I spent on nothing, nothing, then yeah, I think I wouldn't be in a position I'm now where I've got the confidence to push forward, confidence in a very anxious way <laughs> to push back and say, no, I'm actually going to stand my ground here. It means something to me. Yeah. Sometimes it
0: means, well, I mean, that is the discomfort practice. It's not that it might ever become your comfort zone, but you do it anyway, because in order to run a business that enables you to have impact in the world, you have to be well-paid for it. And that's something that I think a lot of people who are trying to do something good in the world struggle with, like demanding that their time is worthwhile. And this is something that I have felt passionate about for a long time and have coached particularly other women on and been like, Uh, don't you dare back down because you are teaching them to value what you do. And if you're willing to roll over on it, they don't really, you're teaching them to not value it. You know, so I think, good for you and also like I'm so glad to hear that it, it paid off because now how does that feel like to you personally how does it feel
1: oh just really satisfying and you know and then also just some reflection you know the anxiety I felt throughout the day which drove me to drink half a bottle of wine last night I mean, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not even gonna lie there was a lot of wine but like that anxiety like made me think, why am I doing that? Why am I people pleasing so much? Why is that so important to me? And it's making me think about next year and the things that I want to start changing about the way that I am with work and friends. You know, saying yes to things that I don't really want to do, but I do because I think I should. And, and like I had a really incredible life coach once, Melissa, just in case she listens. She and she Melissa. says, yeah. Shout out to Melissa, the best life coach. And she said, um, the minute that you put should in a sentence, you don't really want to do it. And so like, start thinking about that word should and what, like, in fact, think about what you want to do, not what you should do. And that practice has is, is really helped as yeah. well.
0: Yeah. I think if anybody's listened to all my podcasts, well, hey, you, deserve, you deserve a gold star, but in the past, I've mentioned something that my friends in Barcelona know me for, and it's hashtag fuck should. And I've been like, I need to make mugs <laughs> on this. Because it is, it's like, fuck should. Should is a yeah. shitty word. Should is a shitty concept. Because it's like, don't should yourself into anything. Either be like, I'm going to do this, or
1: I am not going to do this. But I should. Oh my like, God. Now, fuck I should. love that. I'm putting that on a post-it, and it's going on my computer screen. Because it needs to be the mantra for next year, like, I even shared with my friend earlier a book. It was saying, like, The Power of No. And it was about a new book coming out about people pleasing. And I was like, I have to get this book. I have to stop it. And, like, people pleasing, client pleasing, all of that. I'm, yeah, I'm, I think, I think all of that has come with confidence and like the experience of failing but experience of building yourself back up and the point where you feel like actually your views have value and where you start to have confidence in what you're saying and doing then you start to have the confidence in being able to say actually I'm worth more than that and it is that growing period of like understanding that and of course like you still get imposter syndrome and feel like shit sometimes and going like someone's going to come and tell me I have no idea what I'm doing but um generally like being able to get through that bit um and sit with that discomfort as well where you're like I know my shit I, I'm worth this I know my value I'm sticking with it even if everything in me like my inner child and people pleasing nature needs to like email back and go I'm so sorry for saying that what I want
0: <laughs> I know. I'm sorry for being emotional not to feed into the female stereotype about assertiveness.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: But it's also like anybody who works in consultancy or has worked in consultancy can relate to this. And it's basically that the culture of consultancy is always to be like, oh, whatever the client wants, whatever the client wants. Yeah. It's this geisha role. And when you're in something like sustainability or strategy, that's not helpful to the outcomes that you're hoping to achieve in in your work and your life and your legacy. Because if you're just there to please the client, they're going to stay in their comfort zone and they're going to keep doing things the same way that haven't worked and will not work and will not transform. Deadly squat, as my dad would say. But yeah, it's really important to just be like, make 2023 the year of fuck should i'm giving that i'm putting there. it on a post theory. yeah if any of you are listening put it on a post-it put it on your computer yeah bug should you can you can say screw should if the f word is not a comfortable one for you but i spent too long in scotland <laughs> for that not to be part of my my vocabulary every day it's a useful word it's a good punctuation mark but yeah <laughs> it so, gives power yeah it, it is it's powerful yeah fuck should just embrace what you want because i mean I have gotten to the point where I have a few moments where I think, oh, my God, I said no to that thing that just didn't feel like the right thing for me. And I have suffered financially as a result. You know, I've had beans on toast weeks, more or less, where you're just like, "Okay, I said no to that thing because I don't believe that it should be done or shouldn't be done by them or shouldn't be done that way. What have I done? But then you just have to stick to your guns. And then of course you have those inevitable moments where you wake up and you think, am I just like a raging egotist here? Who do I think I am? Or, you know, who do I think I am that I'm, I'm this age and I don't have a mortgage and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I don't really, I don't, that's not what I want from life. So if you don't want a certain level of security that takes your freedom to have the impact you want, then it is worth the exchange. But it's a really tricky, it's a tricky type rope to walk. So if anybody yeah. is listening and going, Oh, I can't give up my salary to do this risky thing. Well, you can build a safety net for yourself first. You don't have to throw yourself off the cliff. Like some of us have done, which yeah. I mean, yeah, so far so good. You always find your parachute opens. I find yeah, often it's not really a cliff in the, in the first place, but let's talk <laughs> about, let's talk about the events industry. Cause I think it's an interesting insight because I mean, I doubt anyone listening to this has never been to an event. If you've been to a concert or a conference or anything, you know, you know, the events industry. So let's talk first about like the industry, like what has some of the negative impact been, because this is probably something most people aren't really aware of, haven't thought about just like headlines, you know, like what is some of the negative impact that is a problem that needs to
1: change? Well, I think, Well, first of all, the event industry is one of the few industries that fits across every other industry. You know, like every industry has some level of events, whether it's conference, exhibition, trade show, brand activation, awards, you know, like all of these things. And so it's an industry of influence. And, you know, it creates, it works with so many different industries. It has that power of creating, building, designing to put forward new ideas and change. Social behavior and influence audiences and consumers. So, we have a lot of power. We have power with the audience and consumers, with our clients, with our staff, because it's a huge employer as well. Um, But it's massively wasteful. If we think, you know, um, events are created for such a short turnaround time and months and months and months will go into creating like a one day event with a whole build of wood. And plastic and materials and giveaways and food and people flying in, like the conference that we spoke at, you know, flying in and then flying back out and transporting everything across the country to build it all. Like it's insane. You know, the carbon emissions from travel and transport alone are huge. Then factor into all of the materials we use when resources are already becoming more and more stretched. Um, plastic should be decreasing and quadrupling. It's now the biggest form of emissions in the U.S. over coal, the plastic addiction there. And so just looking at that and then thinking about the food and, and drink and how much is wasted, there's a brilliant organisation called WRAP, who I'm sure that you know. I nice used um, to work with them. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> and they have a hospitality uh work stream and it's all about like the insane amount of food and drink that is wasted every year in the events industry it can fill like something like eight olympic pools or something yeah. which is like full of wasted food and all of that just sits very uncomfortably with our opening like our eyes being open to the climate crisis and the tipping point of what we're seeing um and where does that sit amongst all of that? Where does all of that like waste go? Where does all of those emissions go? What are they contributing to? It just sits really terribly. Um so we're seeing more and more incredible organizations come around which are focused on more circular economy model. So hiring in sets and stage. Um there's a brilliant organization called Event Cycle in the u k who you can pay to come and pick up any leftover assets from an event and it can be a lanyard or a pen through to a stage, a floor, like anything. And they donate it to a charity in the UK. They organize the whole collection, donation, they give you a social impact report. It's a beautiful Mm. circular approach. Um, They're a godsend. And just thinking about educating. The design designers and creatives in this industry, like sustainability, is your ultimate creative brief. You always are tasked with developing something new, develop it sustainably, redesign, make things that are built from recycled or recyclable materials. Um, Heineken just recently did a pop up bar, and the entire thing was built from um, reclaimed timber. Uh, the seat covers were. Um, heineken uniforms melted down and created into cushions the whole activation ran off solar energy Um, they had this really cool roof that kept energy in so it meant that it didn't need aircon or heating it was incredible and it used different platforms around the bar to educate on like waste and like what to do with your drink and blah 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 it was it was brilliant It was such a great example of how to use a really fun experience as a platform to also educate. Mm. Like you're going there to have a drink. You're not going there because it's a sustainable bar. But guess what? When you're there, you get to learn more. and it becomes a talking point, it creates a really brilliant narrative for the brand, showcases their values. It puts them at the forefront of like a nice brand to buy from and it also means that they're showcasing like how to do it in a better way than building everything from brand new materials and i think we're just going to get to a point where waste waste is seen as a commodity to be used mm-hmm. i think we're going to get to a point where waste is not going to be waste it's just going to be material in a different format and i think we'll look back and think about how much went to landfill and be horrified yeah like really horrified um that all of that amazing material, you know, just went to went went, you know, into landfill into waste and could have been reused and yeah. put back into something else.
0: It literally gets um, buried in the ground or incinerated. Yeah. I think what might sit uncomfortably for a lot of people is we both know that so waste hasn't been a commodity in the past, largely because things like plastic It's often when oil prices are low, it's cheaper to produce new plastic than it is to recycle plastic. So there hasn't been this sort of economic incentive. And for some reason, capitalism decided that the economy drives everything, not sustainability of impact, not trying not to exploit human beings or the planet. And so there's just been this like free for all of plastic being made and pumped out. And then nobody's really had to deal with what what happens next. What happens when oil prices rise? And so like when oil prices are high because of a war in Ukraine or um, various other factors happening, it actually is a real gift to people's incentive to be, let's say, thrifty, to reuse things, because if it costs them more to use, you know, just the easy version, the raw material, the virgin materials, new plastic, for example, they're just like, it's cheaper just get somebody yeah. to do it cheaply. But it it is about how great it is that there's starting to be value placed on these things because we are running out of resources. You know, wood is more expensive. Plastic is still a problem. But yeah, and and actually, I was wondering if you wanted to talk about some of the big events that you've done and some of the cool stuff you've done, but also some of the challenges you've had, because it's sort of like London 2012. It was the beginning of a big journey for a lot of you in the events industry and there are probably some things that could have been done better, but what are some of the proud moments for you of, of London 2012?
1: I think, um, oh, for London 2012, for the, the, four, the four ceremonies, that was my aha moment of realising that we were missing this huge gap in, in the event industry of having a sustainable option because we worked super hard on making the four shows um, sustainable as possible. And that Wait, meant for, from, for
0: anybody wondering what we're talking about, just to remind you, London 2012, the Olympics. So, the opening yeah. and
1: closing ceremonies for the Olympics yeah. and
0: the Paralympics. So, this is big yeah. stuff.
1: Yes. And they're the four biggest shows in the world. And we wanted to make them as sustainable as possible. Um, and I think to date, any Olympic people listening, correct me if I'm wrong, they are still the most sustainable shows that we've done to date.
0: Wow. No, that was 10 years ago. That makes me
1: mad. <laughs> no yeah. That makes me angry, yeah. Um, but we did amazing things. Like we recycled, We, you know, there was a huge bell made by Whitechapel Bell Foundry, which is the oldest in the country. And that was melted down and recycled. The cauldron was made from recycled metals. The All of our suppliers had to go through a really stringent procurement process, sign up to our sustainability, attend workshops. And a lot of them, the legacy of that was that they started to, like, fed that into their working practices as, as a whole. And so it was a real turning point for a lot of the industry in the sense of bringing sustainability to the forefront. And that's probably my proudest point. We made costumes from plastic bags that everyone had to bring in plastic bags from home. Um, and there were costumes made from plastic bags, um, costumes made from the tops of um, water bottles um, and like Coke bottles plastic water bottles like yeah we just had these huge bins with like just for different bits of rubbish that we all wanted um, in order to create these costumes um and then just i think since then i worked with lush on um a six story exhibition about it was to launch their naked packaging so their products without any packaging and we did six story Journey into packaging and the impacts of packaging on the world. And it started in the ocean in the basement, and it was all projection and about plastic in the sea. And as you moved up, it was just different activations, installations. We invited artists to display their work, and a lot of them were artists that create with rubbish found on beaches and in the environment, and they build with it. And then, at the right at the top of the exhibition space, we created the 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 home of the future. And so we built a an apartment that we felt in the future would be how we lived. And that was an amazing activation to do and be part of, and it just really got got me thinking about the different like the different ways that we can like engage and inspire audiences into thinking more about the future. um And then most recently, I worked. Um, or I'm working with a really brilliant artist in North London called Tom Robinson, and he is building a meeting room table um, for an innovation center we're working on, um, made out of discarded e-waste. And so it's all old keyboards and like the plastic bits from chargers and computer screens melted down and then shaped um, into a meeting room table. and. Yeah, I'm really excited about seeing the finished product. It's going to be incredible. And he does a lot of things with discarded plastic um, waste streams. I'm now like talking to him about different ways we can work with him for other brands. You know, if we think about a well known credit card brand who wants to transfer all of their cards to recycled plastic, what's going to happen to all the old cards? Can we collect them, melt them down and build them into something? Like how do we take waste and make something beautiful from it? And that's like what I'm excited about now, just being able to start showcasing that in the work we do.
0: I love that about the events industry. And that's why I've loved working with you and why I'm really excited to do more work with the events industry and highlight to people, maybe people are listening to this, they run a business or they just aren't thinking about how innovative the events industry are and so many people in it absolutely love what they do because they like to create magic and solutions and they're artists and it's just like yeah this incredible industry full of creative people so if you turn your sights collectively on how can you have a positive impact but make it fun and beautiful what a great way to live what a great world to live in and so I feel like building on that I really want to talk about the human side of all of this because obviously like there's so much environment environmental impact and it's very real in the events industry but I think something that also is so apparent after the pandemic is that human connection element because we lost human connection we couldn't go to events and connect with people in person and that actual sort of that chemistry of being with other human beings and that value of creating communities, creating connection, having collective experiences online or in person. So how important is that? And and is it more important now than it ever has been? And what role can the events industry play in that?
1: Oh God, it's so important. Like people often say to me, like, oh, the most sustainable event must be a virtual event. And yeah, of course it is because no one's traveling. We're not building anything. But who wants to sit in front of a computer screen? Like I want to be in the thick of it, enjoying making memories, having fun, connecting with people. And that's what we all miss. And everyone remembers that first event back after COVID and you were just so excited to be doing something and experiencing something. And so I think that it's got to be not about taking away that element, but just doing it in a way that matters, like just thinking about, yes, let's build this incredible experience, but let's just think about how we build it so we are minimizing impact. Let's just think about like how we build that connection and education. And I think actually to steal some of your work from when you wrote our manifesto, was like, you know, using events as platforms to educate and empower and inspire an audience. um, And just that connection, yeah, it's it's so important, and nothing beats it. Like I love nothing more than knowing I've got tickets to something, and it's going to be amazing. Or I love the like I I am like what three two Olympics, one Commonwealth Games, two World Cups. I love nothing more than a mega event, and they and we all know like Qatar is a brilliant example of this. The impact of them is horrendous it's huge and it's unnecessary and so my goal is to work with those events to try and bring that down and do it in a way because you cannot move away from the joy and connection those mega events give people and the memories they give them forever like everyone remembers their london 2012 experience or their rio 2016 experience and paris will be the same and you know the world cup just takes over lives and offices and <laughs> uh, dates <laughs> across yeah. the world yeah. you know like um it's just all emotional connection um that people love and we should not do away with that because we we had that feeling when everything was taken away and it was horrible like mental health is so important so just finding that balance between environmental impact and social impact and and keeping that like as a really a, a finding a balance and i think at the moment social impact you know trumps like environmental impact much you know much more um so i think it'll be interesting to see you know this time in 10 years what those big events look like hopefully they do look different.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Cause I think part of me is I want to be a bit of a like strict, ah, well, you know, virtual events are the best way, but I, I totally agree. And, you know, I teach 21 year olds and that age group has had the biggest impact on their mental health because of this pandemic. And a lot of it is because they've been so isolated. So I have to just agree with you. There is Kind of no substitute for that person to person thing. But thank goodness it's now not sort of either or. We've understood yeah. now and created a really, uh, uh, some really beautiful approaches to how to add, genuinely connect remotely. Yeah. Because I think the world has opened up a lot more as a result. So it's sort of like we're still finding our way, aren't we, on how to balance that human connection element where we want to be in person on occasion with the fact that it can also have such a hideous impact. So we don't need to do it as much as we used to, perhaps. You know, I'm talking about yeah corporate events where they fly in people from all over the world and they could just do it online. But yeah. 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 I think the event industry is definitely the right one to, to navigate that skillfully and with a lot of creativity. So yeah.
1: I agree. Yeah.
0: I agree. So how has your own background, because I know a bit about your background, how has your own background impacted the way you are and your work ethic in particular? Because this is always interesting because you are such a creative person. How did you end up like this and in this industry?
1: Um. Oh, like in a really strange way. <laughs> um, my background is um, raised by a single mom. No, barely no, no, no sort of relationship with my, with my dad. And I've looked into this since and apparently fatherless daughters are very much known for working hard being workaholics because it's almost a way of proving yourself and i think that reads very true and it's only in recent years i've started delving into like that side of of me and trying to figure out why i behave or act in a certain way or why i'm triggered or why certain things are more important to me like work over certain relationships or something like that um and then coming from you know a a background where, where we struggled financially I think I was always so determined that I would not struggle and that I didn't have that um, sort of pressure, financial pressure over me, which I think is why when the bulb failed, it hit me so hard because it scared me, you know, being in that place where I had no money and that was so important to me to feel stable um, and secure. And so I think... It's had like a really big impact on on the way that I sort of focus my time and wanting to work hard and ensure that things are pure, stable, you know, and, and that I'm doing well. You know, it's really important to me. I let my ego decide things a bit too often, actually, um, which I shouldn't. But then in terms of getting into the creative industry, on that note, I really, really wanted to work in media. Like I loved it. I really wanted to. And I was doing my A-levels and I got my mum to drive me all the way down to Brighton, which I was from the Midlands. So It was a, about a five-hour journey and went to a media course for um, young students. And everyone that was on the course had parents that worked for the BBC or newspapers. or And I was from a council estate in the Midlands. That I'd never been out of the Midlands. Um, and I just got like this fear that I would never make it, that I would never amount to anything. So I ended up doing law because I felt that was a safe sort of subject and I would definitely always get a job. And so did law, went to law school, got a job at a law firm, hated it. <laughs> By three o'clock every afternoon, just wanted to just like run out of the office screaming, like could not look at another 400 page contract. Was terrible at it, you know, like just not the right personality. And so left and went traveling for a year. There's a theme here of me just leaving and traveling <laughs> when things aren't going well. Big reset um, moments,
0: let's just say. Big yeah. Reset yeah.
1: Big reset moments, definitely and then moved to London and it was the recession. It was 2009, it was a recession and could only get a job as a legal assistant in a law firm. And and in my first week was just like, oh my God, this is horrendous, how have I done this? And then just randomly got a call from, I signed up with so many different recruitment agencies that specialize in media and events and creative industry and got a call saying, will you go to Wembley Stadium? for a PA role and I was like oh I kind of just got this legal assistant role and Wembley Stadium is so far from Hackney and oh and they were like no no no, go this is a really interesting project and it was the bid to host the World Cup in England in 2018 yeah and which we lost to Russia but that's a whole different podcast (laughs) and um yep Yeah, and then ended up working with them for two years on the most incredible, incredible project. Like, I learned so much. And then from that, met the people that then got me the job on London 2012. And then from that, just built from there. But complete, like, fluke. You know, like, just that one call, sliding doors moment. Just that one call changing everything. What if I'd missed that call? Or decided not to go for it. Where would I be right now? And it's just crazy to think about it. Yeah,
0: and that a PA rule taught you how to do a World Cup bid because you wouldn't see <laughs> that coming.
1: So it's almost like yeah. another
0: another potential story of failure that yeah. just turned out right. You know, yeah, just like your failed legal career that you decided you'd hated, and then you yeah. ended up being a leader in an industry you never knew you were going to end up in. I love
1: that. Oh, I know. And listen to this, my mum, because she could understand law as a solicitor. She could go to like all of her friends and be like, my daughter's a solicitor, like she got it. But this she didn't get. She was like, I don't understand this job. And even like I'd send her pictures of me with David Beckham. And she'd be like, that's nice. But when are you going back to law? (laughs) Like she would always say it, like always. And then it wasn't until... I got a ticket to see the opening ceremony of the London 2012 Olympics. That was when she stopped asking me when I was going back to law. But that's four years of just constantly like, but when are you going to stop doing all of this stuff, which no one gets? And now she has no idea what I do for a living. Like she does not get it at all. And she'll, if I ever work from home and I sit and work in her kitchen and I'll be on like a, a Zoom call like this, And she'll just come in and put the kettle on. And, you know, it's going like crazy. And she's like, oh, well, I didn't know what you were doing. Like, she just doesn't get it at all. It's so funny. I should
0: start adding to my standard list of questions for guests being like, (laughs) do your parents understand what you do? Because the majority, I assure you, (laughs) will be like, yeah, no. Because my mom finally, my parents do not understand what I do you know they're just lovely folk from Wyoming and my dad was a teacher for 45 years but my mom finally one day said honey I have no idea what you do but we're really proud of you and I was like I will take that that was a trophy moment but like how many people can relate to that because (laughs) the world has changed so much but also like in these jobs where you're really trying to like have an impact unless you come from people who are campaigners or you know designers or whatever. Most people's parents have no idea what they do because we have this knowledge economy.
1: I love that. No, it's so funny. Like even uh, my partner, um, his he's from Birmingham and his family are proper sort of the earth brummies, and you know, just sitting and trying to explain to them my job, and he's listening because I don't think he got he like gets what I do either, <laughs> and he's just like trying to get me, trying to listen and laughing at whilst like explain what sustainability means and what that means in the event industry and why it's an issue and why someone actually pays me to do that. They just think it's like this made up thing. They have no idea.
0: Or like a temp yeah. job that you do when you're not really sure what you're gonna <laughs> do with your life. Oh, I work in hospitality. Oh, I work for events. And you're like, oh so you're you're a temp for a catering company, you say yeah. okay with champagne? Yeah, I know. It's it's this is what I I thought this was a really important thing to talk about and to have you on to actually then Leading to the question I want to ask next, which is to anybody listening to this, you have an event in your world. You run an event or you're going to an event. And what what do you tell people? How can they make a difference, whether they're attending an event or considering running an event for work or they work in the events industry? What do you want to park with people? Something that you want them to consider or know?
1: Uh, I think if you are running an event, think about. The moment, like from the full walkthrough and design and experience of your event, where are the pinpoints for waste and how are you going to deal with that? And how are you going to get the right facilities in place to get rid of it in a responsible way? For instance, do not buy compostable items because 9.5 out of 10 they just end up in landfill because no one can actually get the right services to compost them. Um, I think in the UK you you'll know this there's about 40 composting facilities
0: it's better in the uk than a lot of places yeah
1: yeah Yeah. but 42 in the whole of the uk is crazy Mm. and so you just can't compost properly um and so i would be thinking about those waste impacts if i'm attending an event how am i getting there is Isn't can i get there by public transport Do I need, you know, like there's been some brilliant um, gigs lately, like Coldplay and Billie Eilish have put amazing sustainable tours on where they have removed all water bottles, plastic water bottles, single-use water bottles um, from bars and told everyone to bring their own refillable water bottle, and they've put in water, water fountains everywhere. That sounds, it's such a small change, but such a big impact. And all it takes is a couple of comms and a tweet to say, don't forget your water bottle. And we did that on the ceremonies for the Birmingham Commonwealth Games. We did absolutely no drinking facilities. You have to bring your water bottle. And I'm lifting up my Birmingham water bottle yes. from recycled plastic. Yeah. Um, and you know, if people forgot it, they learned quickly not to forget it again. Mm. Um like Coldplay as well are doing did some amazing things in accessibility you know we've talked a lot about environmental impact but actually what we do at the Bulb is also look at accessibility and they you know put sign language interpreters on the stage which like that's rare, really, that's rare. yeah no one does that no one does that yeah. um they also created um well not created sorry they brought in you could hire these best they could oh so pack, still so block and they're vibrating best that allow people to feel the music uh-huh. so that they can they can dance and they can feel it alongside with cold play with the rest of the audience so they're not missing out on that engagement and going back to what you said connection like how do people connect when they've got different requirements and just being just thinking about your audience in a way that is not just about you or your friends, like, is there someone that's got a different requirements that needs some different way of connecting at your, your event? And that's really important. And so I think thinking about it that way,
0: it might even be that somebody is running a zoom event and think about how can you put closed captioning on all speakers? Because it's entirely possible on zoom now. So, you know, what about people who are hard of hearing or maybe it's in English and English isn't their native language. And it just yeah. allows them to be more part of the event, to be able to be fully present without feeling excluded. Because I think everybody yeah. the has probably experienced the, that horrible hybrid event experience where there's an event going on in a place, a bunch of people are there, and then they totally forget about who's on screen, not there. So just think about that feeling of being kind of invisible. And that's yeah. how people who aren't able to take part fully because they are differently abled they need yeah interpretation they need they need yeah they need something yeah. to enable them to have an equally wonderful experience just start to think about that stuff whether or not you run an event or whether or not you're know, yeah. putting together a board meeting or just simply a team meeting on Zoom yeah there's something you probably haven't thought of right
1: yeah and Zoom is only in like very recent that they've added closed captioning yeah for the last like 4 or 5 years they have no closed captioning and Meg in my team is hard of hearing. We actively uh decline Zoom meetings until we were able to get clo- like closed captioning on there. And so many events and online courses exclude people that need that requirement. Um and you know, from places that you are quite surprised at. And like even even um one one good Good story to end this on just the madness of people not thinking through accessibility requirements. For the Commonwealth Games ceremonies, we had a separate entrance for blue badge parking. And this was for blue badge parking, so people with lots of different varying needs of accessibility and mobility. And they put the tent, security tent, on a platform with no ramp. And Duh. when I went and did the walkthrough, and was like, "So you understand why we've got this separate entrance, yeah, and that, and you understand why you've built a a, a security walkthrough that's wider, yeah, but how is people going to get in there?" And they just not thought it through, and it was just like, you know, that it's so common sense, but unless you've got lived experience, yeah, you don't think about it, and it's that sort of privilege that a lot of us have that we don't think about.
0: Mm. I think that's a really good, uncomfortable thing to leave people with. And that is just remember that if you are, if you have the privilege of not having to think about this stuff, we have to park it with you and park the responsibility with each of us to start making the effort to see the world in a different way. You know, what are we missing? Because we don't have to have extra help for accessibility. Or maybe you're listening and you do need a little bit more effort or a lot more effort for the world to be accessible to you so that you can fully enjoy it. And yeah, it's something that we all need to grapple with. And hopefully that can be a fun and creative and joyful thing because then you're opening up the world to you're getting to enjoy the full company of everyone else and a real range of lived experience and people who will add their own beautiful creativity and presence to events because they can attend and enjoy it and understand things. So think of that as like, wow, it's win-win really. So just take a few moments to consider that. And you know, it might be, it might just be a, f- a friend event or a work event, or you're going to an event where you could comment or you could go on social media and be like, well done because and you've noticed something great that is about accessibility or whatever so give praise to whom praise is due but also call people out because it really has an impact you know social media is big for the events industry and big for brands and they listen to you so what's one thing that you one thing that will keep you in the events industry one thing that will keep you doing what you do what excites
1: you what keeps you going uh What excites me, oh, just an amazing creative brief, you know, something coming to me and I get asked to work on some incredible projects, for some brilliant brands, and just being able to say, you know, we like the innovation center we're working on. We want to build an innovation center to showcase our technology. We want it all built by sustainable materials. That is just a dream brief you know, to go to town with a budget and be able to invest in people like Tom Robinson and tables made from e-waste and showcasing cool, lovely ways of doing things that don't, that that take away a problem and create a solution in a really creative, lovely way.
0: Mm. I love that because (laughs) I know you're into this and I know that there are literally millions of people around the world working in events who can do the same. And hopefully as the most, one of the most creative industries, I know people realize that they have such capacity to have such influence and great impact. So if you work in events, if you know somebody who works in events, pass this along and just help people to get inspired about the role they can play because it really does make a difference. Every person who kind of lights up and wakes up to the impact they can have by planning more sustainable events, by looking for events to be more sustainable, it has a real impact on people and on the planet. So I'm filled with hope. And this is why I will keep working with the events industry. I, I love it. I think it's filled with really amazing people and it's having a moment to be really strategic. So uh, well, we could keep going for hours and hours because we could. <laughs> that's that's what we do. But I just wanted to thank you for a being here today, but also for what you do in the world, because it's so much fun. I love knowing what you're up to. And we will be in the same place again at some point, And I'll get to see some of your beautiful exhibitions and projects. But check out the bulb. We'll put the link in the show notes and check out Selena and the work she does. And if you do need somebody to help you think about how you do events more sustainably, send her a message. She's a great consultant. I can have, highly endorse her. But yeah, thank you for being here.
1: Oh, thank you! I've so enjoyed like the last hour just talking to you, and I've, as always, I always leave being around you just full of energy and sparking ideas and happiness. So thank you, and thanks for inviting me. Really appreciate it.
0: I'll go forth and make 2023 the year of fuck should.
1: <laughs> fuck should. That's fuck should. End on fuck It is so going on the post it right now. Yeah. <laughs> there it
0: goes. Well, thank you to those of you listening and definitely message either of us, both of us with questions, with ideas, and maybe tag the bulb, tag me on Instagram when you are at an event that's doing something really incredible and sustainable and beautiful, because we want to highlight these things. We want to give recognition to those who are really worth recognizing. So once again, thank you all for your time. Thank you, Selena, for being here and we'll see you next time. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this episode, follow and like The Discomfort Practice wherever you listen to podcasts, leave me a five star and written review and share this with other people. Help me to reach new audiences with this idea that consciously practicing discomfort helps us to individually and collectively discover our superpowers and create a society and a planet where everyone can thrive. Thank you so much to my guests all season. Go back and listen to a few more episodes to hear more of them. They are wonderful humans doing amazing things in the world. Thanks to my team who helped me produce this podcast. And for those who inspire me through their writing, their conversation, and their support. So that's all from me for now. Follow me on Instagram at Reed if you want to get to know me a bit better, some of my thoughts. And in the meantime... Stay Uncomfortable.